This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, tonight we're learning Leader Nishra to feel Yisrael, Michael Ben Polo Harari. All right, Shalom Aleichem, everyone. You had Rabbi Lamb last week and the week before, right? All right, I was in Eretz Yisrael. Amazing, amazing, amazing time. Um, I was for Shabbos by Rabbi Shimon Baichoy, by Maron, and um, actually, there's a Zoya that we're going to learn tonight, a very deep, very special Zoya, um, that I learned on the mountain. Um, he's supposed to learn Zoya on his yard site, so, um, on his Ilula. So I want to go over a very, very beautiful Zoya. And, um, but before that, I'd like to talk about a couple of different items, things that ha- one of the things that happened on the trip that I think, um, that I think is very important for all of us. And I'm not telling you the story because of me, but I'm telling you the story because I think that's a very important lesson that we all need to learn. Very, very important lesson. So, I haven't seen a movie in uh, about 14 years, maybe 15 years. I don't go to movies. I don't rent DVDs. I don't watch movies. Um, it was one of my struggles when I was young. But Hashem, I gave it up 14, 15 years ago. But as a little boy, um, I was very into science fiction. And... The science fiction that I was that I was into was Middle Earth. Middle Earth is Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And um, unusual, I don't know, I found it in the library and I started reading it and it starts off with a book called The Hobbit. Um, it talks about these little people that lived in uh, Middle Earth. It doesn't make sense that I should be interested at that age, but I was goblins and orcs and elves and, and all kinds of stuff. And then after The Hobbit, there's a trilogy called The Lord of the Rings, and the, the Fellowship of the Ring, and The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. You, there's no Shiloh that he, Tolkien, somehow got a hold of some Kabbalah. Because um, if, you, if you understand what he wrote, I understood that much when I was much older, it's of course the war of the good and the bad, and, um, and Gollum is the name of the Gollum, so to say, the Gollum, where he's fighting within himself, my precious, and, and the power of the ring, which, which, um, is covered in strength and power, which destroys the person who wears it, which we know that, that Taiva and covered might see in a Sodom and Island. And there's a lot of stuff in there that he must, that he stole, there's nothing to talk about. There's a place called Zion, there's, there's the, the return of the king, which is by him, Mashiach, the return of the kingdom. And um, I was fascinated by it. And as an 11-year-old boy, had read these are four books, and they're thick books. Had read these four books probably about 15 times. I knew it by the time I was 13, 14 years old. I could draw Middle Earth without the book, Mishigas. But uh, but I could do it. So it's just something that I always enjoyed very, very much. Science fiction, out of this world, a different world. You know, champions fighting the bad, fighting the darkness. The two wizards, one's the white wizard, one's the, one's the, one's the gray wizard who becomes the white wizard against the black wizard. The gray wizard is not on the level of the white wizard. Some very interesting things this guy wrote. So, um, a few years, many years ago, they came out with the movie The Hobbit um, in a cartoon, which I wasn't interested in watching. I was an adult. I'm not watching cartoons. Then they came out with the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. But they never came out with The Hobbit as a movie. And the Hobbit's the first book. So, so I get on a plane, um, coming back from Israel, very holy, Kaddish trip. I can't even explain to you. I landed there on Tuesday with a Sikin in the morning, actually two hours before Mikvah, and then two hours before Vasikin. Just sitting there, I'm just picturing it by the wall and just, it's quiet, it's 60 degrees, it's, you could dive in, you could, you could just connect that Kajbarcha. You could just connect to God. And, uh, for me, it's like, you know what I say, you always, if you're looking for an outlet to plug in your, uh, electronics, where do you look? In the wall. Right? So for me, the plug to rejuvenate and to get my power back is in the wall. Of course, that Kajbarcha, it's not the wall, it's the Makam Amigdash. And um, I was on a big high. Friday we drove up to Maron. I was there for Shabbos. 
just Shabbos on the mountain and davening and learning Zayar and connecting and the Kedusha was was amazing. Leaving Moron was not so amazing. Um, it took four hours, five hours. And, um, okay, so after all that high, I'm on a plane. And um, it's an 11-hour flight. And I haven't have slept Sunday, the day I left, because I was up a whole night in Moron coming back from Lagba Omer. So I wasn't that tired. I get on the plane. I get into my seat. Big screen in front. And um, I know I can't. I, ha- I take my swarm out, but I'm just, my head's not there. And um, I have earphones. These very fancy earphones. I plug them in. You know, maybe I'll listen to some music. They have Israeli music, whatever. I need to, I need to do something to, you know, the time. And they also have a map as the plane leaves. You can see it as it moves. But you can't look at that for 11 hours. You got to get one. You know, 38,000 feet. Uh, and then 37,000 feet, uh, it changes every second. It makes you crazy. <laughs> so there it is in front of me, a screen. And it says TV, movies, music, and then the, whatever, if, if flight information. I can't tell you why, but I'm, I'm a human being. So I push flight information, shows the plane, everything. <laughs> then I push music. And they had this one station, Israeli music. So I said, okay, we'll check that out when I get to it. Then I pushed TV. It shows like 4,000 different shows. And then I pushed movies. There's three movies. Brand new releases. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. And there I am on a plane, and the movie that I'm dreaming to watch <laughs> is sitting in front of me. No one will ever know that I saw it. I'm sitting by myself, and the section I was sitting in, there were no from like there were a few here, and there were no one I knew. And there it is, and I'm like, <laughs> it's not a movie theater. It's not a DVD. I'm not bringing it into my house. And you're a captain. Come on. Come on. You haven't seen a movie in 15 years. There's no women in it. There's no dirty language in it. They talk Middle Earth. There's no, there's some violence. It's not, it's not the end. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. All right. Let's plug in. Stick. Hashem's my witness. Stick, I stick the earphones in. I stick the earphones in. I put them on my ears. Crackling, crazy loud noise. Wants to put it in upside down. Turn it over, plug it in. Crackling noise. So I, want, I said, okay, Hashem, like you're not, you're not even giving me bechira. I can't watch a movie with, with all that noise in the earphones. I can't, right? So I'm like, I see everyone around me, they're all plugged in, and they're they're listening on their earphones, and everything's perfect. My seat's broken. (laughs) (laughs) So the steward walks by, and he sees me taking the plug and re-plugging it in. He says, oh, no, you're plugging it in the wrong way. And he plugs it in. I said, no, it's not that I can't hear anything. There's a crackling noise. He puts it on, he goes, oh, wow. There's something wrong with this unit. So I'm like, okay, so... It's not, it's not, it's not in the sign. I can't, I can't watch, I can't listen. He says, no, no, try, let's try maybe it's the, ear, the earphones. Goes up, gets another earphone, plugs in, it's making the same noise. I'm like, wow. It's amazing. Of all the things that are broken, the one, right. Okay. So, we've all gone through that test of, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I. Oh, you know what? I, sh- I, I can't. Whatever, I can't. And then, about, all right, so I'm fine. So I plug it out, and I'm, le- I'm leaning back. Ten minutes later, ten minutes later, the purser, that's the head of the, the head guy, um, he uh, comes over to me, and he says, 
Mr. Wallerstein, each one of these units you can reset. I'm going to go back and reset it. <laughs> and before I could say no, yes, no, whatever, he resets it. So I plug it in, and there's no noise. He fixed it. It's always like, hey, you let Wallerstein get off so easy. <laughs> he has to make a choice. Okay. So there I am. There's the Hobbit. Two hours and 40 minutes, perfect. Just the right amount of time to waste watching a movie and then they fall asleep. And I'm in this crazy struggle. And I want to tell you what stopped me after 15 years from watching a movie I really wanted to watch. I learned a long time ago. Uh, something that the Kaviyasha talks about and others from talk about, I think it's, it's crazy crazy lesson now when you when you talk to people and and you give Musser or not Musser direction that the, the power of a person is not what comes out of his mouth but the power of a person is what comes out of his heart and what, what comes out of his soul so Rebbe for instance me let's say if I were to get up and talk against Facebook but I myself, quietly and secretly, without anyone knowing under somebody else's name, if I would have Facebook, then no matter how I scream and how I yell, and no matter how many people will walk out of my sheer excited and I'm turning off my Facebook, it will not last. Why? Because when you speak to someone, what comes out of my mouth is not, what goes, not what's going to help anybody in this room. It's what comes out of my heart that's going to help anyone in this room. So, if the water that I'm giving you is tainted, because I myself are not keeping what I'm giving you, then it will not, its medicine, its power, will, will not go into your soul and change your soul. So you'll come out and say, great cheer. You won't even realize why after you made a decision, let's say movies, Right? Let's say I were to watch that movie, The Hobbit. And I would come in tonight and give you a share. Not tonight, in a year from now. And give you a share about DVDs and movies. And you would, go, you would say, wow, fantastic. I'm going home, I'm throwing all out my DVDs, and you do. And four weeks later, you're again watching DVDs, and you're thinking that's because you're not strong enough. And you're wrong. It's because I wasn't strong enough. Because my shear that came out of my heart and my soul, when it went into you, there was a part of it that was broken. Because I watched the movie. There was a part of it that was tainted. Because I watched the movie. So it's not going to give you the full medicine effect. And you're going to crack later, not even knowing that the Rebbe that was standing in front of me screaming about Shmira saying, nah, I'm not to look at women. He himself is looking at women. So that when you break two, three, four, six months, a year later, and you can't keep it anymore, it's because the shit that changed you had a little bit poison in it. So there I am, sitting in front of the screen, 38,000 feet above the earth, no, we're 38 something. And thinking to myself, if you watch this movie, all your Talmudim and all the girls you will ever speak about DVDs and movies, you will not be able to help them. It's two hours and 50 minutes worth that you will lose your kayach of helping kids when it comes to movies. And the answer was no. The Hobbit is just not worth that. And I turned it off, and I pulled out the earphones, and I felt like a million dollars, because a servant can never say no. A servant can only say yes. And a free man, a person who's free, he can say no whenever he wants to. That was very, very big. And you need to know as parents, those who are parents, and those who are not parents, and those who are chavrusas, that it's ringing. 
Should it be ringing if it's on? Yeah, we get this connected. Yeah, I think so. Doesn't look like it. No, no That was called Russian. Yeah, but it's on. Yeah, no, I think we just Okay. So, so, parent, all those who are listening to this shear, if you're gonna, and a lot of parents, a lot of us do this, we drink, or we tell our kids that I can drink because I'm an adult, you're not. Or married couples, I, this, I do, this I know for a fact, there's a lot of married young couples. They're married five years, right? And they have a two-year-old at home. And they're like, we can watch movies. He's too young to know anyway. And we watch it in our room. And we have it on a portable, you know, portable... Um, uh, player or internet, you know, computer, and as long as the children don't know about it, when they get older, we'll stop. But what you don't understand is that if you watch movies, and now your kid's 15, I meet with all parents who come all the time with their 16-year-old daughters to me, or 16-year-old sons, and like, I keep telling him that the phone's bad for him, the internet's bad for him, the te- television's bad for him, and he doesn't listen to me, because because the stuff that's coming out of your heart is full of movies and the stuff that's coming out of your heart is full of cell phones and all the other stuff that you're doing wrong it's not going to work it's not going to help him it's not going to change him so if you're you have a four year old kid or a three year old kid and you're sitting in your bedroom with your wife watching a movie and then when he's 12, 13 year old you're telling him not to watch a movie it's tainted it will not work and if you're drinking and you tell your children not to drink, it will not work. And if you're not learning and you're telling your kids, how come you're not learning, it will not work. And if you don't go to Minion and then when he's 13, 14, he doesn't want to go to Minion and you give him all these speeches and it doesn't work because from a yetim and a leg, what's coming out of your heart, what's coming out of your soul is tainted. It's not going to work. It cannot work. It will not work. And if it works, it'll only work for a little while. And it'll collapse. So what are they going to do for 10 hours? <laughs> so I had Svarim with me. I had Pekin and And I want to read you something from the Pekin and that, that that blew me away. Two things that really, really blew me away that are extremely, extremely, extremely deep. And... Um, I feel that I had the schuss to learn this because I didn't watch The Hobbit. I really do. And, and then I understood what I was learning and then I found it in this book at this point and I think that it's something that um, absolutely mind-boggling what I'm going to tell you tonight. You're going to go home a different person than you came, for sure. Besides that, I'm telling you that, what, what, again, you, you need to know what you do now. And that's called spiritual DNA. It's what I'm working on. You think you're single and you're watching movies, like, who cares? When you tell your kids later on, I'm going to be married, not to watch movies, it's not going to work. You're wasting your time. If you do tshuva, and you stop doing it, and that changes your DNA. It, it cleans out your soul, and you really don't do it. But I'm telling you, it was 15 years I didn't watch a movie. What a struggle I had. I had such a struggle. And the thing that saved me is my Talmudim. If I didn't have any students, I surely would have watched the movie. I was like, I'm not giving up helping all these people to watch The Hobbit. I'm just not giving it up. But I know that if I watch The Hobbit, then any time I'll give a shear about movies, it will not work. Even if it's the best shear in the world, people will walk out, I'm breaking my DVDs. Three months later, they will fall back, and they won't even know why they fell back. And it's going to be my fault. So a Rebbe, or a friend, when you're telling somebody, you give me, or a parent, you have to first clean yourself up before you try to, to work with other people. Anyway, I want to tell you something fascinating. Um, there were two very big tzaddikim we know Moshe Rabbeinu and we're going to tell we're going to, we're going to learn a little bit about Rabbi Akiva I found that, that you know Rabbi Akiva Ashrechim Yisrael Rav Shimon Bayichoy was one of Rabbi Akiva's five main, main Talmidim so we we sing Ashrechim Yisrael I'm Rabbi Akiva right Ma'amik from Matar Estimeim in our Kosh Baruch who's Matar Yisrael so um I want to talk a little bit about Rabbi Akiva. So, Moshe Rabbeinu was a tzaddik de Tovlo. I mean, he didn't have such a great life, right? 
But the bottom line is that he died. He didn't die in pain, Moshe He died, Hashem kissed him, right? And Akiva was one of the Sarei Rugei Malchus. He died in a lot, a lot of pain. They raked him with a metal rake. Then they took the pieces of meat from his body and sold it in the marketplace. People bought it because it was a great rabbi's body. So they bought the pieces of his body. Okay. Rabbi Akiva was born to a very humble family from Gerim. Not my Shabbenu, who was born with a light. They're much contrast to each other. And we know that he lived very, very poor with his wife, Rachel. And at age 40, he began his studies. And the most elementary level, I spoke about this last year, where he actually went to yeshiva and sat with kindergarten kids when he went to Aleph Beis. Okay. So, when the Romans put him to death, ripping his flesh with iron combs and selling it in the market, so Rebekiva was led to his execution. And it was time to say Kriyashma. They were ripping his flesh with iron combs while he was saying Kriyashma. So his students, his Talmidim, said to him, you're such a big tzaddik to this extent that, that you're smiling, they're ripping your flesh with, with iron combs and you're dying and you're, and you're smiling. So he said, my whole life I was pained by the verse, now, love Hashem with all your life, right? Even if Hashem takes your life. And I always wondered, will I ever have the opportunity to fulfill it? Now I have the opportunity to fulfill it with joy. So it says that he died when he said the word Echad, and at the end of Echad, he died. And a, a Basco came out of Shemayim and said, Rabbi Akiva, your Neshama passed away with, with, with the word Echad. Okay. Chazal says the following story. Rabbi Yehuda, it's Gemara. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rav, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Shemayim, to get the Torah, the 40 days he went up, he found that Hashem was sitting, and it's a whole story, it's a beautiful story. I don't know if you ever learned this message, I think I learned it before Shavuot, so it's that, um, that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was waiting at the door, he didn't go, he didn't walk in, no, he walked in, and Hashem said, those are human beings, don't they knock before they walk in, so, right, whatever it was. And Moshe Benu, I have to, we'll learn it before Shavuot. Moshe Benu gave Hashem an answer, but before the king, whatever it was. Anyway, so he walks in and he sees Hashem is doing, you know, if you, if you ever get an aliyah, you see on top of the, on top of the letters, these little crowns, right? So, um, Moshe Benu asked Hashem, why are you doing that? Why don't you just write regular letters without the crowns? So, Agash Baruch Hu answered Moshe Beno then, that was Moshe Beno's time, right, he was in Shemayim, that there will be a certain person after many generations, his name will be Akiva ben Yosef, and he will interpret mounds and piles of halakhas on each and every, they're called a kotz. The little things on top of the letters are called kotzim. You know what kotzim are? Thorns. Right, they look like little thorns. So... What? Separate from the target, right? Those are the little... Little crowns. There's no targum in the Torah. What? There's no targum. Targum? Targum? There's no targum. There's no murach. Oh, I don't... This is called the coats. I don't know. I think it's the top. The little top piece there. It looks like a thorn. That's what it's called. It's called the coats. Thorn. This refers to the ornamental crowns and points that decorate the Torah scrolls letters. They didn't have that at the time Moshe Rabbeinu was around? That's when I had a hard time with this. No. Hashem was doing it. At that time he didn't get the Torah yet. It was being finished up there. He came up, right? right. Hashem was writing, he was, Hashem was putting the crowns on the Torah. He didn't give the Torah yet to bring down. He came up for 40 days. Right. So the Torah was written without the crowns. Hashem was sitting there doing the crowns. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, what are you doing crowns for? Hashem said, Akiva, which is Rabbi Akiva, will interpret these crowns. So that's why I'm doing it. So Moshe said to Hashem, show me the future. I want to see what he looks like. So Hashem said to him, um, you have to go back. You have to step back. So why? Um, 
he went in, in other words, Rabbi Akiva's neshama didn't come down to this world yet. It was in Yeshiva Shalmaila. And every, every Tana had his own Yeshiva. So Moshe had to sit eight rows back. Listen to this. this is, right? He had to sit eight rows back in Yeshiva Rabbi Akiva. He didn't sit in the front row. He sat eight rows back. And he sat there and he didn't understand a word that Rabbi Akiva was saying. So he felt faint. He, Moshe Rabbeinu was sitting in Yeshiva. He doesn't understand the Rebbe. The Rebbe is Rabbi Akiva. Until they were, they came to a certain subject, and Rabbi Akiva, um, students asked him, how do you, Rabbi Akiva, how do you, asked him a question, how do you know this? And Rabbi Akiva said to them, it's halacha Moshe Sinai. It's halacha that we learned from Moshe at Sinai. So then Moshe recovered his strength. So Moshe Rabbeinu went back to Hashem. Was there any significance that he said he was back? We're going to see. Moshe went, went back to Hashem and he said to him, Master of the world, if you have such a person like Rabbi Akiva, I can give a shit that I don't understand, which means he's greater than me, then why don't you give it, why are you giving the Torah through me? Give it through him. He's greater than me. So Kosh said to him, quiet, this is what I decided. It's a very hard to understand, right? So, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Akash Baruch Hu, Master of the World, you've shown me Rabbi Akiva's Torah. I realize he, I don't understand what he's saying. Now show me his reward. What's his reward for this? Hashem said, okay, go back. Moshe went back. And they saw that his reward was they were selling Rabbi Akiva's flesh in the market. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, Master of the World, this, this is the Torah this is the Torah, this is its reward and Hashem again said to him be quiet, is what I have decided so the question is Moshe um, Rabbeinu asked Hashem a question he didn't answer him two questions actually, Hashem didn't answer him so the answer is that Rabbi Akiva lived in the times of the Romans when they destroyed everything he suffered very badly he had a terrible life he was poor he didn't know how to learn until he was 40 so he says Rabbi Akiva his whole Torah his whole Torah Shabbat he was Torah Shabbat Moshe Rabbeinu was Torah Shabbat right the written Torah Moshe was the written Torah and Rabbi Akiva was the oral Torah he says that what's a coat what was Hashem doing on the crowns that Rabbi Akiva could interpret, that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't interpret. A coat means a thorn. A thorn means pain and suffering. So, what Akash Baruch was saying, that Rabbi Akiva came to his greatness through pain and suffering. You came to your greatness through the opposite. Therefore, he was the prince of Egypt. He was, wasn't born to a gear. He was born to... He did, he did but not, not on Rabbi Akiva's level. He didn't die by being ripped to pieces. He suffered, he suffered a little bit, not like Rabbi Akiva suffered, no. He went, he left his wife. He, he, lost, he lost 24,000 students. He went through a very hard time. So, so, so that's the deep translation. Moshe Rabbeinu went to his yeshiva... He didn't understand suffering because he didn't go through that kind of suffering. To reach that level, to reach that level, and I, 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 he doesn't say why the eighth row, but I'm thinking. Oh, he did see the egg also. That was that was pretty. No, but he didn't suffer. No, he keeps the generation suffering. No, but he, he raised the. You know, yeah, but we're, we're talking about suffering. So the kites, the kites, the ribbon. So Hashem was saying, "I'm doing this kites." This is Rabbi Kiva to understand. You don't understand because this is this is coming through pain, and. Um, Moshe, in fact, did not understand the Torah of Rabbi Akiva. But Rabbi Akiva and his generation, because they were Torah Shabbat Peh, had to learn Torah Shabbat Sab. So when Moshe was sitting in the, in the yeshiva, he felt very weak. I don't understand them. I don't understand what it means to go through this in pain. But then when he heard that they only have their Torah, because he had his Torah, because they were, they, were, they, were, they were mentioning something that was from, from Moshe from Sinai, right? So then he got, he got his Torah back. Now listen to this. So what does this mean, go back? 
This is all very, very deep stuff. So what are you telling Moshe Rabbeinu to go back? What do you mean go back? He went forward. He didn't go back. Rabbi Kiva lived later. What he showed Moshe Rabbeinu was later, not backwards. So he said that, no, that's not what Hashem was telling Moshe Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, for you to understand Rabbi Akiva, you have to, you're on the, Moshe Rabbeinu was on the 49th level of, of Kedusha. So everything was very transparent glass to him. Um, he, he could not understand connecting to Hashem through pain. He had to come, because he was on such a high level, right? So to understand that he, Hashem was telling him, you have to go back. You have to go into the, in, in, in Tzadik Viralo, and, and you have to go into Tereshabal Peh. And he brings down a story here. He brings down the story like this. Is that why he sat in the eighth row? Because of the realm of pain? I think the eighth row, maybe, is above, is above Teva. We know that the eight, eight, eight is above Teva. Seven is Teva. Till seven is Teva. Eight is above Teva. So I'm just thinking, he doesn't say it here, I'm just thinking that for Moshe Rabbeinu to understand that a tzaddik viraloi is connected to Hashem through pain, that's not Teva. Teva pulls you away, pain pulls you away from the person who's causing the, who you're getting the pain from. So, so that whole, he had to sit in a row of Above Teva. Why was Rabbi He was perfection in a different realm. He was right. That's a different realm. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Going to tell you. No, he went through pain. He, he, we can't. He was going through crazy, but he died saying Shema. Moshe Rabbeinu died with a kiss in his mouth. He died saying Shema, having his skin raped. So, so. Um, he says an unbelievable story here. He says, he says, so you think that's only by, you think that's okay, Rabbi Akiva, uh, Rabbi Akiva can do it on that level. He says, they did it, they did it in the Holocaust. And he says a story here that, um, he says a group of tattered Jews in, Nazi, in a Nazi occupied ghetto, uh, returned from a day of forced labor. The night of the 15th of Nisan, which was, was Pesach night, was a Seder night, um, they didn't have four cups and they didn't have matzah. But they had plenty of bitter herbs, right? And tears for salt water. And their lavish sadic couches were wooden planks. They had a small slice of bread, each one of them. And they were obligated to eat it in order to live. You're allowed to eat chametz on Pesach if you're, if you're going to die, right? So he says the Seder did not begin with, with, with making Kiddush, because they had no wine. So it began with halach ma'anya. This is the bread of affliction. Right? Like our forefathers were under the terrible taskmaker, right? They had skimpy rations of bread, so they talk a hat, these guys only had bread. So they sat and told the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. This is not Rabbi Kiva's days, this is what, how many years ago? 70 years ago? Right? When they reached Maitzi Matzah, the Jews took out the slice of chametz from their bags and began to recite L'Shem Yichud. They composed a special prayer for this rare and awesome occasion. Master of the world, it is revealed and known to you that our will is to do your will, to eat a kezayis of matzah on this night. As you commanded us in your Torah, in the evening you shall eat matzahs. But you commanded us a greater mitzvah, the mitzvah, and you shall live by them. And keeping the mitzvah should bring us life, not death. L'shem yichud kutcher b'rich We are ready and willing to fulfill the positive mitzvah, and you shall live by them, and not to die by them. They recited Kiddush over the bread, Blessed Hamotzi and Edekaziah of Matzah. On this Seder night, God was there with them, for only He and no other being is capable of understanding such a sight. To recite the shame Yichud on a Seder night over a piece of bread, to say, and you gave us Hashem our God with love, the festival of Matzah on a slice of bread, a Seder of this type was not witnessed neither by the Nevi'im or by the Tanam. Only Hashem Himself was there to see it. And there the Jewish people found him. There the Jewish people broke through all the barriers and discovered that I, hiding within the eye, shall, shall surely hide. So, not only did this happen by Rabbi Akiva, but, but the Jews died and many, many Jews died, millions of Jews died with the word Echad on their lips in the crematoriums and in the gas chambers. And Moshe Rabbeinu could not, this was not something he could fathom. 
because he was on such a high level, he was on a level of of simcha and and not yisurin of toiv. He couldn't fathom this. This is Rabbi Akiva's world, and this is what blew me away. I was on the plane, and I, I marched, got up, and I, and, I, and, I, and I went over to my wife, and I said, "I have to. I have, there's two stories. This story and the next story. I said, I have to tell you this. I, it, it was it was the reward for not watching The Hobbit. Listen to what I'm about to tell you." The, the, the Medrash says the following when Moshe Rabbeinu died was supposed to die HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the angel of angel Gavriel Gavriel bring me bring me Moshe's soul bring me his neshama and the Malach Gavriel said to Hashem Hashem I can't I can't take the soul I can't bear the death of Moshe Rabbeinu who is equal to 600,000 men I can't I can't take his soul so Hashem said okay Michal, Malach Michal, go bring it, bring me the soul of Moshe. Michal said, Hashem, I was his teacher. When he came to Shemayim for those 40 days, he was my student. I cannot take the soul of my student. Okay? So I, I've read you the message he sent down the Malach Amavis, and Moshe Rabbeinu burnt him, he couldn't go near him. So finally Hashem said, okay, I'll get the soul. So he came to Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem, and he said to the soul, my daughter, I let you have 120 years. I let you be in the body of Moshe Adenu. Now it's time to come out. Leave his body. And the Neshama told Hashem, Master of the world, I know that you are God of all spirits and souls. And I know that all the souls are in your hands. You created me, you formed me, you placed me in the body of Moshe for 120 years. Now there is a more pure, now is there a more pure body in the world than Moshe? This is why I love it and I do not want to leave it. Hashem said to her, to the soul, O soul, go out and do not tarry. I will elevate you to the highest heavens. I will place you under my throne. And then Hashem said, no, I, I don't want to leave. So at that time, I read this to you always in the fourth verse. At that time, Hashem kissed Moshe took his soul with a kiss of the mouth. And the Holy One, blessed he, so to speak, was crying and said, who will arise on my behalf against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? And then a, a Basco came out and said, there never will arise a prophet, a Navi in, in Israel, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe represents Tzadik B'toyvloi. Tzadik who prospers. He left the world through a kiss from the mouth of Hashem. His neshama containing within it the entire people of Israel. When Moshe passed away, Hashem kissed the Jewish people. Because it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, um, it's brought down in a few, a few Kabbalistic forum, that you cannot learn a word of Torah, and the only reason you can learn a word of Torah is that everybody in this room, every Jewish person, has a nitzvah, has a spark of Moshe Rabbeinu's soul. So when Hashem kissed Moshe Rabbeinu's and sucked out his soul, so that soul is in all of us. So we sort of all got a kiss. We all got a neshika from Hashem. Okay? Now, here's a kasha. In the first pasuk, second pasuk in Shir Hashem, Yishakeini mitshikais piyu kitavu dedechem yayin. Your kisses the kisses from your mouth are better than the best wine. It says kisses. There's only one kiss. Now, even though the Medjah says that Hashem also kissed Miriam when she died, the Medjah says that the Torah can't say that because it's not sneeze. Hashem kissed the Nekeva, whatever it is, whatever that means. But Lemaisa in the Torah doesn't say that. The Torah only says that Moshe Rabbeinu got kissed. So, what is Shlomo Melch talking about? What is Shlomo Melch talking about? That there were two kisses, there was only one kiss. Right? Let me tell you what the Vilna Goyen says. Wow, this is crazy. The. It's not like. Well, no, no, it's just an expression. Shalom Alex's expression. First of all, a kiss from Hashem to take the soul is not death. He took him to, he said, I'm taking you to a much higher level. 
It's not the death of the soul, it's the death of the body, big deal. It's not the death of the soul. So, so, what's that expression? It says, as beautiful as, right? So he says, unbelievable. Listen to what he says. He says, Tzadik v'toivloi. Hashem kisses you. Tzadik v'raloi. You kiss Hashem. She says, Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem kissed him. And in turn, Moshe Rabbeinu kissed Hashem. The initiation of the kiss came from God. Everything was good. But a person has a bad life. And he goes through what Rabbi Akiva went through. And Rabbi Akiva says that I can't wait to die by giving my life to Hashem. I can't wait to die with the word Echad, right? So who's kissing who? Hashem's not kissing him. What does that mean? I I think it just means someone's calling. What? It's what? Maybe the phone realized. It's going. It's forty-one thirty-four. It's going. No, I think it just it just means someone's calling in. No. That's the music they play when you're on hold. So how's it getting in there? Maybe the phone. Okay, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's it's it, it, it's working. It's working. Anyway, you hear this? So if everything's good in your life and that's your relationship with God. So Shem's kissing you? Okay, you kiss him back. Well, things are bad. And you're still connected to Hashem. And you're ready to die for Hashem. And you still see Hashem, even in the pain, you're kissing him. That's the second kiss, says Allah going. There's two kisses. This is my Shabbano's kiss, where Hashem kissed my Shabbano. And there's Rabbi Akiva's kiss, which is even greater, what Shabbano said. Moshe Rabbeinu said, why did you give the Torah through him? He's greater than me. He's kissing you. He's initiating the kiss. Hashem said, that's my business. It's not your business. Do you understand what he's saying over here? What, 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 a, what, a, what an unbelievable thing. So, so yes, it's very good when things are good and you're close to Hashem. And Hashem's kissing you and hugging you. But when things are bad... And you're still a Jew, and you're still keeping the Torah, and you're still keeping the mitzvahs, and you're still saying no to the Hobbit, and you're still saying no to all the things that you want to enjoy, and, you, and, 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 and it's, it's hard, and it's painful, and it's mysterious. Nefesh, you're hugging and kissing Hashem. You're initiating the kiss. Hashem kisses you back. The Rekiva was greater than Hashem. Because both said, you sit eight rows back. The Rekiva is greater. Being, doing mysterious nefesh, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Moshe Rabbeinu said, "I want to see who this is," and that was the kaitzim. That those were the thorns that Akush Baruch Hu was drawing on the letters. That's one story. Now I'm going to tell you something. Another story, which which is mind-boggling. That Rabbi, the Rabbi who. Um, who wrote this book, Rabbi Israel Tauber, picking Machshava, tells a story, um, tells a story about his mother. And he says the, he says the following. He says, before the Second World War, they lived in Pressburg, Czechoslovakia. He was the oldest born in the family. He was born before the war. The Germans conquered the country in 1940 and began sending people to Auschwitz. He said, we lived in Czechoslovakia uh, until 1942. Then they fled to Hungary. Then the uh, Germans got hungry in 1944. They fled again. And she had his mother. How many children did she have? Um, How many children did she have? You have to hear this, it's not normal. Um, so she, she, his mother got pregnant. Then she was in the advanced stages of pregnancy, expecting his sister. And... Um, People would ask her, why are you trying to have more children during the Holocaust? 
I mean, like, you're having more children so the Germans would have more people to kill? Well, during the Holocaust, why would someone have children get pregnant during the Holocaust? So they would ask her, why are you trying to have more children in these difficult days when your family is running like mice from one hiding place to another? So his mother would answer it with one sentence. We are Jews who are obligated to fulfill, our, to fulfill our responsibilities and do what we are commanded. Hashem will do what he wishes to do. Okay. So Hashem did his part. His mother, Taka, lived. But his sister was born in Auschwitz and she died. He says, my parents didn't talk much after the war about, about what they went through. But I used to ask them, he said, about their, their, you know, their gruesome days. Now listen to this. This, this, this is, this is beyond anybody's comprehension and it just, it just hurts me because we're so far from this. This is, his mother was a plain woman and you're talking 1945. So how many years ago is that? 70? 68 years ago. So it's not, we're not talking about in times of the Gemara. Listen to this. So, he said, I once asked my mother, Mama, um, did you really think we'd survive the war? So, so that during the war you enlarged the family and gave birth to four more children during the war? During the war. So he said, where did you get the strength to bring children to the world and care for them at a time when Jews were being preoccupied with finding some food and, and saving themselves from the Nazis? What could she answer? He's asking her an unbelievable question. He's saying to her, you, first of all, you put us all in danger because you're having children. You have, to, you have to share the food that we're finding with other children, number one. Number two, why are you having children? They're killing children. Why are you having children? Listen to what she answered him. My saintly mother answered me with her wisdom of life. We are Jews. We believe in Tchias A child is not your child just in this world. He remains your child for eternity. What's she answering? His mother answered the following. His mother said, what's the difference if the child lives or dies? That's not my, that's not up to me if the Nazis are going to kill them or not. But if you bring a child into the world, once the Neshama comes in a body to the world for one second, that body has a right to come back to the Samasin and be an Elam Haba in the next world. But if you don't bring the Neshama down to this world, it never has to get Samasin and it never has a chance to live in Elam Haba. So it's not my problem whether the child lives or dies. Because either way, whether it lives or dies, once I give birth, that child, that neshama, will come back into Yisamesim and we'll have a chance, a ticket, to be in the next world in Olam Haba. But if I don't bring the child down to the world, that neshama's stuck. It'll never get down here. It'll never have the Olam Haba. I, I went nuts. I went running to my wife. I'm like, I'm like, Esther, you have to hear this. Did you hear what this woman was, she was having babies running away from the, from the Nazis? Why? So you killed my kid! But guess what? I'm gonna win in the end. Cause he's gotta come back! And he's gonna be in the next world! But if I don't have a child, then I killed that child. I killed that chance of that Neshama coming to the world. That I'm not allowed to do. I have to have children. When Hashem does, Hashem does. Says River Israel Tabor on his mother! She knew how to kiss Hashem. She knew how to kiss Hashem. She knew how to initiate the kiss. In the greatest pain, in the Holocaust, having infants, having babies on the run, and watching them die, watching them die. in Auschwitz she lost her daughter, and still saying, Akash Baruch I believe in you, that's Rabbi Akiva. That's the kiss that we initiate to Akash Baruch Moshe Benu said, why me? Why are you giving the Torah through me when you have such people? People that are initiating the kiss to Hashem because they're in pain and it doesn't make a difference. They're still connected to Kosh Baruch The Hobbit at that point looked very little. He looked like a teeny little Hobbit. As I was going to watch a movie, Hashem would have never given me this present. I would have never gotten this present. Absolutely mind-boggling. 
It's not a thousand years ago. It's not Rachel Imenu. It's not Sari Imenu. She, she said, when did she die? She just died not long ago. Now, I talk a lot about... What? Right, right, exactly, exactly. What? No, no, just a girl dying. No, they made it. They made it. Made it. His his mother didn't die long ago. Okay. Um, so I want to tell you one more thing, and then I, I'm not going to get a chance to learn, learn the Zaya next week. Uh, it's amazing. No, this, Zaya, this maybe I'll learn it this week because it's, it's it, it'll, it, this Zaya is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. I learned this on, 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 I have to learn it this week. I'm going to learn it with you this week. I just want to tell you one other thing. What I want to tell you, oh, I want, I, I think, I, you know, I hate to do this, and I'm, I'm doing this specifically tonight, um, but I need to do it. And as much as it hurts, I need to do it. So, you know, I talk, I, I want to talk a lot. I want to write a book about Akar Satov and, um, I have a dinner next week, Wednesday night. Or Nava dinner. A Teres Nava, Or Nava, BCA. Wherever I went in Israel, people came up to, oh, Rabbi Wallstein, I went to seminaries and played. Wallstein, you changed my life, you changed my wife's life, you changed my children's life. I wasn't keeping anything, and because of you, I, I get this all day and all night. It's very nice. Beautiful. What do you mean? So in my next world, it's a, a game changer. But I'm making a dinner. I don't have money. Ornava is very close to closing. Some people will be very happy when I close Ornava. People don't like success. You know why people go to go to the Indy 500? Why do you go to Indy 500? You're going to watch a car go around the track 500 times? What are you, stupid? Right? Because deep down in the subconscious of a person, he wants to see a guy crash really bad. Oh, what are you standing there for? If you knew that they would go around all 500 times and nobody would crash, nobody would come. They're hoping for that big crash where 13 cars are flying in the air, right? And the guy who won last year, he should die. <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain part of us that, that doesn't like success by others. You really think that there's animosity? It's not animosity. It's part of a human being. It's not animosity. It's just part of, part of us, the whole, the whole programming of television today. The Bachelor, the Bachelorette, the getting kicked off the island, the, the, the Miss Universe. You, you, the enjoyment is not with Miss Universe. The enjoyment is watching the ten become five, the five become three, the three become one, and everybody getting kicked off and left with one. That's the godless. The godless is in all these television things which people, mamas are dying to watch, right? They figured out that people like to see other people embarrassed. The Bachelor, right? They like to see them get thrown off the island, get not chosen, Right? And yet, ah, I'm glad, because she's more beautiful than me. And look, and look, he threw, he didn't like her. Ah, now I feel better. That's human, it's human, it's human nature. Anyway, I'll tell you this. So, success breeds contempt. Um, okay, so I have this dinner, and, and, it's not happening. It's, today is Wednesday, it's Tuesday, it's in a week. We have a hundred reservations. I'm saving thousands of people. Where are they? All these people that send me emails, that call me, help me this, help me that, do this, do that. Where are they? Phones are dead. No one's calling. Okay. So we sent out 20,000 invitations. So yesterday, I have to say I'm a human being, even though I try to work on myself. Um, I, I, I had like a pretty open sore, like a pretty wound that was hurt. That that I'm sitting a week before a dinner of an organization that's the only one of its kind in the world to help girls, people's daughters and people's wives, and, and, and do what we do. And just nobody's interested in helping us. So I was I was very down yesterday. I have to be honest, I was very down. So I get into my car and. Um, I get a phone call. Hashem's my witness. I don't usually pick up my phone if I don't know who it is. I let it go to the message, then I listen, then I call back. If I call back, try to. I picked it up. Hi, is this Robert Wallerstein? I'm like, yes. Um, could I have a couple of couple of minutes of your time? I was going to say, like, did you take an ad in the dinner? If you didn't, I don't want to talk to you. 
You didn't take an ad to dinner, I'm not interested in talking to you. What am I, right? You know, free therapy? You know? <laughs> for one hour, for one hour, I know a guy, he's a life, he's a life coach. He's not even, a, he's taking $250. So I'll give you an hour, take an ad, $250. Give you, give you a half a page, you know? So I was in that mood. I was not in a good place. And I was like, I said, yeah, yeah, I have time. I was driving home. <laughs> so, no, it was a girl. I wasn't going to say that to her. So she says, um, she says, well, I going to have a big problem. I said, go ahead, what's your problem? She says, I have a very good friend, and I kill myself for her. And I help her work with her business, I help her with her family, I help her all the time. She never says thank you. She says, I don't want to do it anymore. I just feel like I'm being used. And she, she's not always talking to me about my feelings. <laughs> this is like the weirdest thing, right? She's talking to me about my feelings. Like, just feel like people use you, and then when it comes to when you need them, they're not around, right? And now, now I have to answer her. So really, Hashem's forcing me to answer myself. <laughs> this is like wild. So she says, I don't want to do it anymore. Is that okay if I don't do it anymore? I just feel I'm being abused. She has no hakarsatov to me at all. I'm like, that's weird. I'm feeling the same way, <laughs> right? I said, let me tell you a story. I said, I want to tell you a story, a true story that happened to me. The girl in, my, the girl in all the years of my chinuch, this was a long time ago when I had more time and more energy. There's one girl that I took her from being a street, I don't want to say what, and I mamish gave her my life at that point. She would call me at 2 o'clock at night. She's killing herself. I got up. She's doing that. I got up. I, w- I didn't sleep. That whole year I didn't sleep. She was, she, and mamish took her like my, no more than my daughter. And I worked with her and she failed and she grew and she failed and she grew. And I, I grew with her and I learned how to deal with girls through her. Cause she was the first girl that I ever dealt with. And I put a lot of work into this kid. And then she got engaged to get married. She said, Rabbi, you know me, and I could, I could jump, I could leave the wedding before it starts. I could panic. You have to be there a half an hour before the reception, before the beginning of the wedding. I need you, I need just to see you. I won't go over to you. I just need to know you're there, or I might not make it. I'm like, you have my word. I got you this far. I promised you I'm taking you down to the chuppah. I promise you I'll be there for you. I will be there. I'm not going to work. I'll be there. And I really was, gave him a serious nephew. I managed to sleep nights. Don't, I can't even tell you the crazy stories I have with this girl. Okay. So, I go, I leave an hour before, let's say the reception is at 6. I leave at 5. I get out to the FDR drive. And halfway in the middle of the FDR drive, traffic stops. Okay, it happens. Half an hour, an hour. I put on the radio, car fire. There's a car fire on the FDR drive north. FDR drive is closed. Fire engines have to come from that side. From that side, they had, they had actually boats on the East River spritzing onto the FDR drive. Oil spill, fire, Forget about it. I missed her reception. I missed her chuppah. I showed up at the wedding in the middle of the first dance. I sat in that car. I said, I don't understand you. I gave my life to this kid. This kid's depending on me. What are you doing? Now, the funny thing is, I had a different, I could have gone the West Side Highway. In the last second, I made a decision at the tunnel to go FDR drive. Had I gone the West Side Highway, I would have been there, no problem. I, I, I understand, that's, that's how you reward me? And what you did to her? Okay. I come to the wedding, I get in the middle of the first dance. So I, I dance with the chas, and he was like, Rabbi Walton, she's beyond herself. She's not much beyond herself. I said, I, I called, I told you, I, I was in, I checked the news tomorrow. I'm not making up a story. I was stuck in there. He goes, I know, we know, but, but, but it was, it could have been a big disaster. Anyway, I woke up to her. They finished dancing. She's sitting there, the first course, they're sitting there, whatever. I woke up to her and I'm like, I apologize. I, and she has this look on her face like, 
I said, I, I was on that FDR drive, called my wife at 5 o'clock. I was ready. I would have been here. Hashem didn't want. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. Okay. I'm going to tell you why. Okay, so I, so I went, I sat down. I was very upset. I was a little bit upset at God. I'll tell you the truth. Like, what are you doing? This is my girl. This is, I gave my whole life to her. Well, I can't come to her wedding. You don't let me come to her wedding? I sat there by the first, by the, sitting and eating. I'm like, I know why. I know why. I got up. I went back there. I said, Could she got off the table. I said, I have to talk to you. Let's go. I remember I walked to the back of where her chair was. It was like a machitza. I said, I know why this happened. She said, why? I said, I'll tell you the truth. I really did this mitzvah with my whole heart. I took you in like my daughter. You know that. She says, yes. I'm like, I would have come to the wedding. All you'd be talking about is, I lost into this, or lost into this, or lost into this here, lost into come here. I said, I would, you were giving me the last bracha. I was going to walk down to the chuppah. Everybody was going to stand up. I was going to get covered. Everyone would say, why is he getting the last bracha? Because he changed her life. I said, I would have come up to Shemayim, and I would have gotten schar, but I wouldn't have gotten a whole schar. It would have been maybe half. Because my enjoyment of being the man and of getting all that covered would have taken away from my reward. Hashem said, you did this mitzvah. You did this mitzvah so whole, I'm going to make sure that you get no enjoyment. So that the mitzvah in the next world is complete. I said, if you're Michael, what happened, then I will get the complete mitzvah. Aren't you happy after everything I did that I'm going to get purely 100%, not 80%? She said, if that's the truth, I'm happy. Why am I telling you this? I told this to this girl last night. I said, listen to me carefully. This is the satan. And this is the satan working on your Rebbe the same way. If you stop now helping this girl, what's the satan going to say to Hashem? He's going to say like this. If she was doing the mitzvah of Gimilas Chesed for this girl because you gave the mitzvah Hashem, why'd she stop? Who cares if someone says thank you or not? Is mashma that she stopped. So why did she stop? Because she wasn't getting a thank you. Which means that the only reason she was doing it was for the thank you. I said, this is the test. And if you stop, you're going to lose all the chesed you did before. Because you didn't do that for Hashem. You did that because you wanted to get a thank you. Hashem wants to give you the mitzvah complete. So this person, you were led to a person who would give you no akarsatov. So in the next world, if you keep doing it, why do you keep doing it? Not to get a thank you, not to get appreciation. She doesn't say thank you. She doesn't appreciate it. So that you're getting a whole mitzvah. So Hashem gave you a chance to do a whole mitzvah. So she's like, Rabbi Wallstein, I'm glad I called you. I'm done. I'm going back. I'm not going to stop. I want the whole mitzvah. And I hung up and I said to her, thank you very much for calling me. Because I have to listen to what I just said to her. And I said to myself like this. If you're going to close on Ava, because people are not helping you, because people are not thanking you, because people are not showing up, then that shows that all the stuff you did till now was because people thank you, and people show up, and people give you COVID. So just the opposite. That they're not making reservations to the dinner, that they're not giving you money, and you're still going to go and help the world, shows that you're not doing it for the thank you. You're not doing it because you want people to appreciate it. You're doing it because you want to save Hashem's children. So just the opposite. If nobody shows up at the dinner, mazel tov. Just the opposite. Now, for the other people, it's your problem. Like, there's not a cross the They have to answer for that. But for me, and I'm telling this to this girl, and I'm saying, yesterday, Kershbohu had a girl call me so I should give her musr, so I should hear my own musr. And I shouldn't let it bother me. Godless. Let's all go out there tonight and give Hashem a kiss. Let's tell Him how much we love Him no matter what our life, no matter what's going on in our life. For the kiss you give Hashem is greater than the kiss He gives you. When Hashem initiates the kiss, that was my Shabbeinu. When we initiate the kiss, that's Rabbi Akiva. And when Shabbeinu said, Kosh why isn't he getting, why isn't he giving the Torah? He's greater than I am. And Kosh said that even after the Torah is written, the beautiful Torah is written, 
and it's written from Moshe Rabbeinu and the letters are beautiful it's so deep Hashem said it's not it's not finished it's not finished it's not beautiful so Hashem was sitting there writing the Kaitzim he said for Torah to be beautiful it's not just living life good and letting me kiss you the perfect Torah the finished Torah Hashem says, that's what I'm doing right now, Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm finishing those letters. I'm putting pain on those letters. I'm putting kaitsim. I'm putting thorns on those letters. And when I finish putting all the thorns on the letters, then the Sefer Torah is kosher. Then the Sefer Torah is finished. And there will be a man one day, his name is Rabbi Akiva, who will be able to understand and write heaps and heaps of understanding of Torah on those thorns. You can't do it, Moshe Rabbeinu. You don't have a hard life. You don't, you don't, have what he had. You had a hard life, but nothing like Rabbi Akiva had. So the Torah to be complete is when the Jew gives God the kiss, when the Jew initiates the kiss to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the true kiss. And that was the kiss that Rabbi Akiva gave. And that was the kiss that, that Rabbi Zeril Tauber's mother gave to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by saying that even though it's in the Holocaust and I'm on the run, I need to have children while I'm on the run. Because if I bring children into this world, even if they die, they have Olam Haba and Chiesa Mason. But if I don't bring children into this world, they never, the Neshama will never have a chance to be in Olam Haba. I am going to bring Neshamas into this world that will have the ability to have Olam Haba even if they die after a minute, after a day. And he says, it's very, he says, just, just to show you the power of, of spiritual DNA that Rabbi Israel Tauber himself, right? So Rabbi Israel Tauber himself has a son. He writes it in his book. It's, it's amazing that he writes it. He says he has a son. Listen to this. He says, one of my sons was expecting his third child. We were all looking forward to good news. One morning my son called me and said to me, Tati, I deserve a mazel tov. I asked about the baby. My son answered, Tati, a child with a special and elevated soul was born to us. It took him a half an hour in this world to accomplish what it takes other people 90 years. He completed his mission and went back up to Olam HaEmes. And this is what the Torah says. Whatever happens to you, accept it with the most innocent wholeheartedness. So this woman was the grandmother of Rabbi Israel Tauber's son who had a baby that lived for half an hour. And when he told his father, he says, I get a mazel tov. He says, my son lived for half an hour. He did what it takes people 90 years. No pain, no crying, no nothing. He'll be back. He'll be back. Go to Elam Haba. I brought him into the world. Bottom line is, I brought him into the world. We should all be zaycha to be to be kissed by a kodesh baruch hu and to see tzvi asameisim and mashiach in here be amen or amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.